Aloha, everyone. On behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we wanted to take a moment to thank our team members for working through these trying times. And we wanted to thank our community for not just supporting us, but most importantly, supporting each other amid this climate of change and continued uncertainty. It is difficult to fathom some of the recent tragedies that have occurred, but what we can do collectively is aspire to be better for one another. We don't want to disrupt this message by taking time to promote some meaningless special. All that can be found on our website or app. Instead, once again, mahalo for your strength and your character. And we look forward to our very special community here in Hawaii getting back to work and making the world a better place. And with that, let's talk sports. What's up, Jordan? How's it going, my man? Uh, let's warm things up. Our little pregame action we like to do here to get the episode kicked off. And we're going to talk about one of our favorite individuals in sports, and that's Jorge Masvidal, who lost again. This time in his rematch in a cornhole competition against top cornhole professional Cody Henderson. That's right. And it wasn't the first time that Masvidal has delved into cornhole. This was actually a rematch for a loss by Masvidal to Henderson back in February, which took place at the Super Bowl Radio Row in Miami. Remember Radio Rows and media gatherings like that? That's crazy. Masvidal was spotted 15 points in this one. Didn't matter. There is already talk of a trilogy match. So the warm-up question, worst defeat for game bread. Kamaru Ushman at UFC 251, or once again getting cornholed by Cody? No, it's, it's losing a cornhole, right? I mean, he took the Usman fight on, what, six days' notice. There was a built-in excuse. It's not like Kamaru Usman's some chump or something like that. Uh, but it's the cornhole thing, because it's not like Usman spotted him two rounds, right? He didn't go into the match up 2-0 <laughs> uh, as they went and, and, and fought that thing in Abu Dhabi. Uh, he got 15 points. That's kind of a lot in cornhole, right? I don't know, I mean, it, it, yeah. <laughs> but it sounds like a lot. <laughs> it sounds like a lot, right? So I don't, I don't know. Are we scoring by touchdowns? Do you get six and, and you kick extra points? I feel like it's one point at a time, right? I don't, I don't know exactly how this goes, but uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think the cornhole loss is worst of the or the worst of the two for uh, for Gamebred. Although Gamebred kind of seems like he's living a, a good life at this point, right? He's just cornhole for fun. Who cares if he loses? Like it's. Yeah. Uh, it's a good deal. I mean, when you can still be apparently that cool with life and you're riding a losing streak uh, in multiple sports, then, hey, look, I, I think you're doing something right uh, at the same time. And I'm thinking, hey, look, if he's down for a cornhole, then that's just a couple of degrees away from him accepting an invitation for some Portuguese horseshoe tournament action over here in the island. So uh, that's the next invite that's going to go out to Gamebred. Set it up. Max versus Gamebred. That's right. Blessed versus Gamebred Portuguese oh, Horseshoe man. Tournament. Fundraiser idea. Trademark that bad boy. For the kids. <laughs> All right. Well, let's welcome you to the show. That's right. Uh, this is Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. And Jordan, it's our Steph Curry show. Number 30. Our 30th full episode uh, of the podcast. And uh, I don't think we could have uh, invited a more timely guest, certainly. We have Triborn winner 
on the AVP Tour once again. Uh, he and his partner Trevor Crabb coming off of a victory at the AVP Porsche Cup, which was part of the Champions Cup series in Long Beach. Born, uh, who was an alum of AOP, played high school volleyball at Marinal, went to USC. Uh, he had previously battled an autoimmune disease for two years. So over the course of that time, no beach volleyball. He wasn't even allowed to exercise. He was concerned as to whether or not he'd be able to even continue his volleyball career. Uh, got back out onto the sand court uh, with his new partner, Trevor Crabb. And boy, have uh, they put together something pretty strong uh, here, which includes this past weekend's victory and puts them in the hunt legitimately for a spot in the Olympics, which will now be held, hopefully, uh, next summer in Tokyo. So, uh, yeah, Triborn, I think it's a perfect time to talk to this guy. Uh, and he's a really interesting dude. He has his own podcast, uh, Sandcast Podcast, which uh, is really, really great listening uh, for any volleyball fans out there. So he knows what he's doing on these things. And he's also kind of a renaissance man. Like, he has the podcast. He's done some broadcasting. The guy's written a book, and he's, he's, he's kind of everywhere. He does it all, right? He's a guy I admire, and I love guys like this, right? They take a little adversity, and they turn it into a positive, and, and he used his time, and he really explains that. He's another guy that seems to kind of have life wired right now, right? He's overcome a lot of adversity, but uh, right now in 2020, tries, tries doing well, man, and uh, the professional side of it on the court's been pretty fruitful here over uh, the last few weeks. Yeah, he and his wife, Gabrielle, have a relatively newborn child, 10 and a half months old or so, as Tri told us. So um, yeah, he's, he's at 31 years of age, uh, doing a whole lot of everything and has been able to overcome quite a bit of, as you said, adversity, uh, and is uh, poised to uh, take over the sport as he was planning to do before all of the calamity ensued. Uh, so we look forward to that, but let's get to our game time. And our first game time topic, delayed. That seems to be too much of a theme here. We're, we're getting very repetitious with regard to some of this sports discussion. Uh, but this time, uh, it is for a couple of the juggernaut sports here on the prep level in Hawaii. The HHSAA has announced the postponement of several fall sports to January of 2021. And that includes football and girls volleyball, not to mention cheerleading, cross country, all of that has been moved back. Now, like the Big West decision that we previously discussed in earlier episodes, uh, it doesn't pertain to the winter sports at the moment. So basketball and some of those sports that run during that season have not been touched just yet. Uh, sports like air riflery and bowling, very individual sports, which lend themselves a little bit more to the provisions of COVID precaution. They are still scheduled to proceed as planned in the fall, but we don't know what's going to happen with regard to the DOE's decision on exactly what school is going to look like. So all of this stuff is still very much up in the air. But what do you think of this massive decision, frankly, by the HHSAA, high school football? It is a defining sport in many ways uh, in different parts of this state. So what do you make of this decision by the HHSAA? Yeah, and I think you could say all of the things you just described football as. Girls volleyball is very, very similar. Uh, it is by far, I think, the, the preeminent girls sport in the state. And quite honestly, you could say it might be number two overall hmm. when it comes to football. Uh, I mean, you're talking the, the crowds that they draw, especially at the state tournament, uh, the eyeballs that tune in when they are televised. Uh, girls volleyball is as big in Hawaii as it is anywhere in the country. Uh, and relative to other sports, even when you're talking about hoops, when you're talking about baseball, softball, uh, girls' volleyball is that big. 
Uh, and so you're talking about arguably the two biggest sports when it comes to Hawaii prep athletics being pushed back uh, and how far back, well, at least January, right? And, and could be even further. I think it was an inevitable decision. I think it was one that had to happen. Uh, and I am glad that the HHSA and its member leagues made the decision now uh, because I think it makes a lot of sense, right? The, the, nobody's really gone back to school yet. There's some private schools in the state who have returned to, to instruction, but the public schools haven't gone back yet. They're not scheduled to for another couple of weeks. Uh, we don't know what the future holds. And so for all of that uncertainty, instead of just taking it week by week, I think we've reached the threshold where it made a lot of sense to just push things back um, because it doesn't look like it's getting better anytime soon. In fact, it's getting worse in a lot of places, particularly on Oahu where the bulk of obviously the population is and the bulk of the, the participation is when it comes to prep athletics. And so moving those, those sports backs make sports back, make a lot of sense. Uh, I think for everybody involved logistically, just safety wise, all of those factors factoring in. And so it, it could be pretty interesting because, you know, on, uh, Chris Chun, when, when talking to our buddy Rob DeMello on KHON yesterday, said that the winter sports could actually still start on time if things improve, uh, which would usually mean November. So you could be looking at, you know, football not starting till January, uh, girls volleyball not starting till at least January. Uh, meanwhile, other gym sports could be starting. So it could be kind of interesting. And then even this morning, I heard on Hawaii News Now with Chris Chun uh, doing another interview saying that girls volleyball could very likely be pushed all the way to the spring and run concurrently with boys volleyball just because of all the gym logistics, right? You're talking about girls and boys basketball in the winter and boys volleyball in the spring. Like where do you fit girls volleyball into just, just use it at utilizing gyms on campuses. So it, it'll create a, a bit of a cluster in terms of, uh, you know, just trying to get everybody in and things like that, but that's better than just having a season wiped out. And they've already had to deal with that last spring. So it just makes all the sense. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get some sort of season. Uh, it creates some interesting dilemmas, right, for some of the – for football in Hawaii, as you mentioned. Uh, it's a big sport. We've had multiple kids every single year, it seems now, graduate early in December and then go enroll at a collegiate campus. So you're talking about high school seniors here in Hawaii who might not even play their senior season of football, even if it is held. Uh, after January. The, the next stage of the conversation, right, is what the domino effect is. And I think we always look at the elite athletes, the, the college recruits, the blue chippers, and, and this could affect recruiting to a large degree for the guys who maybe haven't been previously seen or the, or the girls who haven't been already recruited and have made verbal commitments or those kinds of things. That does complicate the situation. Uh, but as you mentioned, we could sort of see this coming when the HHSAA cited what was a a ranking system from the National High School Federation, which basically aligned and ranked sports based on their COVID risk. And football was at the very top of the risk category. Uh, and then you have other contact sports like basketball, which is currently in the winter, volleyball, where you're sharing a ball on either side of the net, but it's a little bit more close quarters and it's a team sports. So you have multiple players out there on the floor. You look at bowling, you look at air riflery, those are still scheduled to take place in the fall and not only are they low risk, uh, but as Chris Chun pointed out, the executive director of the HHSAA, those are also sports that are oftentimes uh, held during the day, during the week. And so oftentimes those are sports that force kids and athletes to miss school time. 
Uh, and if we are going into what a lot of people are anticipating, more of sort of a hybrid system where you'll have two days where certain students are in the classroom versus other days during the week where they're not in the classroom, he feels like those sports lend themselves a little bit better to that kind of schedule. So uh, obviously a lot of logistics that had to be ironed out and considered here. But I give Chris Chun and some of the other decision makers credit because this is an ever-evolving situation. And I do think at some point you got to make the call. Uh, because the other thing you don't want to do is you don't want to put kids at risk who haven't been afforded the opportunity to properly train for such a demanding physical sport like football or even volleyball. Uh, I, I think that's another aspect of this that you have to take into consideration. You can't just be rolling kids out there who aren't uh, both physically and mentally prepared to take on the duress that is brought about. Uh, by playing such demanding sports. So uh, I, I think that's another thing altogether that they've had to think about. And, and I, I do laud them for making ultimately this decision. I think it's a decision that had to be made. Yeah, I agree. And, and just one last note, I, I know if, if I was a kid, I, I hope uh, the, the bowling programs and the air riflery programs are out there because uh, can you imagine like all the football kids who have nothing to do now in the fall? Uh, it's like, why not go out for bowling, right? Sign up for the bowling team. The girls' volleyball players who who knows when they're getting a season. It's like, hey, maybe I'll try out for the bowling team or, or go shoot a little air riflery, right? We might have an influx of kids coming out for those sports. Yeah. Uh, little known fact, uh, yours truly participated in bowling one year in high school uh, because at Iolani we needed three sports to uh, be able to get out of PE, to be eligible, to be able to like just turn the PE period into a free period. If you played three sports, you were able to do it. Uh, and so um, I was coming off of an injury, so I wasn't able to play volleyball uh, as I usually did. Volleyball back then was in the fall. So I bowled and I was not very good. And I went and had to buy my own bowling ball. And I mistakenly bought a 12 pound ball instead of a 16 pound ball, uh, which is the standard. And so when I rolled my uh, bowling ball down the lane, it would just like hit the pins and make this sound. It'd be like tink, 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 tink. Uh, cautionary tale to everybody who might go out for bowling. Make sure you get the appropriate weight ball. All right. And don't make the same mistake that I did. That's good. That's good. So you're helping out the kids here in 2020. <laughs> That's right. It's a cautionary right. tale. Good stuff. A little PSA here on behalf of Let's Talk Sports. All right, let's move on to the college level. Uh, the UH football team, this isn't really huge news as it pertains to the Warriors program specifically, but they are part of the Mountain West Conference in football, and all Mountain West teams, according to the league, are now going to be playing an eight-game conference schedule with the option to play two non-conference games. Now, UH football was already set up to play a 10-game schedule because they lost their three non-conference games against Pac-12 opponents. They lost their original non-conference game against a lower division team in Fordham and replaced Fordham with Robert Morris. They also have New Mexico State on the schedule, which is an out-of-conference game. Uh, and so Hawaii is already at the guidelines, if you will, uh, put out by the Mountain West Conference. I guess my question to you, Jordan, knowing all that we know here and discussing what we have already been discussing right here on this episode, over under, how many games of those 10 games that will be allowed to be played in the Mountain West Conference will Hawaii actually play? I think you got to set it at like five and a half, right? Like I, I know that's pretty low. Uh, but, but who knows? The, the non-conference games, I think, are very much a flip of the coin. Uh, we've already seen it was the New Mexico governor who had basically said, like, the, the cancellation of sports at the collegiate level was very much on the table. So maybe New Mexico is also off the schedule. 
at this point, you're talking about, what, three games against California schools. Uh, it's not getting any better there. Uh, so I, I say half the schedule. If they can play half the schedule, uh, I think that would be optimistic. Um, and so I'll set it at five and a half. I hope it's over. I hope it is. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for the Mountain West to do this, right? Ten games seems to be the new model, uh, you know, a nine plus one or a, or a nine-game all-conference schedule plus a championship game, as, as we're seeing in some of the Power Five conferences. Uh, it's just going to be tough. We, 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 everybody knows the logistical challenges for the University of Hawaii here. It's nice to see that it sort of fits already, right? This doesn't impact their schedule. The start date works. Uh, the end date works. Uh, so that is that is at least one nice thing where this wasn't another further hiccup uh, or another further hurdle to jump over for this team to go play football this year. We're just, uh, you know, we're kind of crossing our fingers that that they can at least start meeting some checkpoints as they get ready for that September 26th game against Bobby Morris. Yeah, you know, I want to come up with a different answer, but I think five and a half is actually a really good uh, if you were to create a betting line, right, to, to encourage betting one way or another, which is sort of part of the handicapping process, uh, I think five and a half is a legit number. Hawaii is currently scheduled to play six home games, four road games. I think we understand the complication with regard to travel, not just Hawaii traveling, but teams traveling here, depending on what the quarantine situation is. And so as far as at least creating like an over-under line, which was the question of this topic, uh, I think that's a good one. And I'm not sure which way I'm going on it at this point, I think is also uh, something that needs to be stated. Uh, but we do hope that there is some form of that, because that would also then mean that maybe we have an indication that things are getting better. But we don't necessarily have those indications yet. Uh, at the time of this recording, uh, Hawaii still hasn't started its training camp. Remember, it's kept getting pushed back, and they're scheduled to start tomorrow, uh, which is Friday here this week. The fingers are crossed, and we hope that it does. All right, time to get to our Domino's Hawaii main topping of the show. And as mentioned, we're talking with Triborn. He is fresh off of his win along with fellow Hawaii guy and partner Trevor Crabb on the AVP tour at the AVP Porsche Cup, part of the Champions Cup uh, series that was put together in Long Beach. So let's go ahead and play that interview right now with Triborn. All right, Tri, what's up, man? Uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, you are, I guess, not too frequently a guest on other people's podcasts because you are usually doing your own, the Sandcast, which you've had going for a few years. Yeah, exactly. No, it's nice to be on the under end of it, for sure. Uh, it, it's been fun uh, just learning how to podcast and uh, get comfortable with it, but this is, this is nice for me. Yeah, well, we do want to get into some of that because you are a renaissance man in many ways, a jack of many trades. Uh, but one of the obviously primary roles that you play here uh, is that of an elite level volleyball player. And you are celebrating a win at the AVP Porsche Cup. Uh, it's been a few days. Uh, it was a wild, really entertaining match that we were watching over the weekend. Uh, but how have things sunk in since that win with your partner, Trevor Crabb? Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's always weird after a big win. You're like, you know, you, you kind of build like this, build up this expectation in your head of like this ultimate celebration and like all this stuff going on. And then life just kind of goes back to reality and you're like, Oh yeah, I forgot the the world only revolved around me for like half a second. <laughs> and then I, you know, I got a kid now and, and obviously COVID's going on. So the, the celebration wasn't too epic, but, um, no, I'm I'm just really stoked on uh, the position that we've put ourselves in, um, especially, you know, ending the series on a high note, because I know 
it's hard to go a whole off season or, you know, we don't know when we're playing next. So we get to ride this victory for a few months until they, until they announce another event. Um, but no, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of excited just to get back to work actually, because we grew a lot throughout these three weeks. We applied a lot of the stuff we had been training. Um, so it kind of just shows me like what our potential is. And as you know, we, we have a lot of work to do to, to get that Olympic spot uh, in a whole year from now. And uh, so I'm excited to get back to work and keep growing. Well, it always feels good to be able to come through, especially after your partner put out a guarantee that you guys would actually win uh, that yeah. event. Yeah, in, in no mixed words on Instagram. Yeah. He said, I guarantee bleepin' it. And yeah. certainly you guys came through. Uh, Trevor is, is one of the more colorful guys on the AVP tour. There's no doubt. Um, talk about just, just you know, his presence and, and what sort of his – guarantee tactic may have done for you guys this past week yeah I mean it worked <laughs> uh you know when I first read it it was like oh god here we go again Trevor <laughs> just doing what he does uh like he, but I, I I respect it a lot and I think a lot of people have learned to respect it it's hard as an opponents to hear this stuff and then especially when he backs it up um but for me it, it it's so nice to have a partner that has this this unwavering confidence because that's that's what I need I, I don't need anyone to be like dwelling on any mistakes or losing or anything like that and I mean this guy like he'll forget a loss or a point he could have got blocked straight down and the next point he'll be in that guy's face you know telling him about it um so it, it's good it, it it works for me and for this particular case it was like put a little extra pressure on me I think and it, it kind of put me in the zone every point I was like I just gotta find that zone and stay there because we're guaranteed to win this whole thing <laughs> not not just to win this match or this set or this point like I, I got a long weekend ahead of me so I just kind of went into like you know endurance mode and I was like all right just stay in the zone we're going all the way and it worked yeah, it's funny because it seems like sometimes the guy he's yelling at across the net uh, is his own brother, Taylor, which we'll, we'll get into, uh, I'm yeah. sure, at some point uh, as we make our way through this podcast. You and Trevor, obviously, two Hawaii guys, yeah. um, very similar in age. You guys go back. You just talk about the history there and, and sort of how you two came to be partners and what mm -hmm. has become pretty fruitful here for you two guys. Yeah, so, I mean, basically, you know, almost all the – volleyball players that that kind of make it out of Hawaii and go pro have come out of outer canoe club and for me personally my mom was just a canoe paddler there and that's why I grew up down at the club but they have such a rich volleyball history that um you know guys like Chris Crabb raised his kids there and because I was there every day Trevor Taylor all these kids the McKibbins they became like my best friends and and uh, their parents were all great volleyball players. So I just kind of grew up around the sport. And then Trevor became, you know, one of my best friends. Taylor was his little brother. And same with Madison and Riley. And, um, you know, I was just lucky to grow up in, in that environment in, in Hawaii, where if you're, if you're a top volleyball player in Hawaii, you're a top volleyball player, like basically anywhere in the world. Um, whereas that's not the case for like something like basketball, right? I mean, I had Dave Shoji as my Little League baseball coach and volleyball coach. Uh, and, like, I was just so grateful for that. And so me and Trevor, we just kind of 
I think we just have a similar mindset. We both kind of have a chip on our shoulder. Um, he has a chip on his shoulder just naturally. I think his whole life he's just been battling against his brother. And for me, you know, I, I went to like the smaller school. I went to AOP and I was always like competing against all these Punahou guys, Kamehameha, Iolani. Um, and so I, I think I've kind of had a chip on my shoulder always trying to prove myself in that way. And now that we went pro, we finally like got on the same team and, and we're just kind of like trying to attack everyone in our path. Yeah, it's it's been working out pretty well. You mentioned it's a long weekend, right? And this was the, the third weekend in a row as the, the AVP mm-hmm. came back. Uh, what is that typical weekend like? I mean, you, you're playing Saturday multiple, Matt. You're playing Sunday. Uh, what is that typical weekend like as you grind through one of these tournaments? So this is a little different because of COVID, but um, it it's a grind for sure. Like, you know, you have to learn how to – how to reset really you go into one match usually you're playing a lower seed the first round and you don't want to take them too lightly because this this is the biggest match for them and and they have nothing to lose you know uh so you have to get yourself up for that one and then as the matches get harder you have to get into that zone you have to find it and um I mean it's it's not easy and then you you end because it's multiple day you're not like just playing one game you know like how basketball football is you have to fully like let go of that let's say Friday match uh, the Friday matches and you have to fully like reset for Saturday and know that what I did yesterday isn't gonna just naturally uh, work today like I have to reset and fully like find what's gonna work on this Saturday and then if you get through Saturday you have to do the same thing on Sunday but the moment that you that you kind of just you're like oh I played so good today on Saturday I just got to show up on Sunday and it's going to transfer over the moment you ha- you kind of let your guard down like that is is when you lose so it ta- it's draining cuz like that night you're you're not trying to like get out of that mindset you know you're you're sticking in it and it's three days of like a full mental battle. You know, I wanted to get a little bit back to the the pairing of you and Trevor, just by yeah. virtue of the fact that, you know, obviously there's a, a previous relationship. There's, there's going to be that chemistry mm-hmm. but from a volleyball and, and volleyball tactical standpoint. You know, you guys are, are two guys who basically throughout your collegiate careers play primarily outside hitter. Um, but, you know, if I'm, Correct me if I'm mistaken here, but I also think you spent some time or at least a little bit in your career playing libero. Is that right at, at yeah. USC? Yeah. Did a little bit of libero work as well. So, I mean, yeah. there is, you know, and, and, and him being a crab brother, obviously, they're going to have some well-rounded skills. But how did you go about the pairing and, 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 and sort of calculating how it would work from a volleyball standpoint? Yeah, so... I mean, I think we both understand. We grew up playing against each other and competing. so we understood how good each other are at volleyball and to the extent that we, we understand the game. Um, but I mean, I think just growing up in Hawaii, to be honest, like when you, when you get coached by coaches in Hawaii, it's all about ball control. Like people, you go to the mainland and, and there's these big guys that like hit and block and like, they worry about all that kind of stuff in Hawaii. All the coaches just pass defense. I mean, setting like it's all ball control like Dave Shoji never 
worked with us on blocking ever. I, we learned how to block because we were down at Outrigger at the baby court blocking and trying to bounce the fence and stuff. But it was all about ball control. So, I mean, that's such a blessing because um, beach volleyball is all about every skill, you know. And me and Trevor, I feel like both of us always felt like our games were built for for beach because that's kind of Hawaiian style where where you, you like to play all the positions. and um, whereas like indoor, you know, you're going to specialize in, in one thing, thing or another. And I never liked that as an outside hitter. I was always, you know, I felt like I could have played middle. I felt like I could have set. And I think Trevor's kind of the same way where we, we almost feel like we need to prove ourselves like, Oh yeah, we're playing defense or, or we're, we're both blockers and we're good at it. And we believe in ourselves, but we could do that too. You know, it, it's probably a bit of an ego trip, to be honest, but I just love it. Like, I love proving that I can do every skill. There's nothing I can't do out there. And, I mean, it's the same thing with Trevor, for sure, with his confidence. Like, he's not going to let me go dig a bunch of balls without him being like, okay, put me back there. I can do it, too. You know what I mean? Um, so, the real reason we partnered up, though, honestly, we didn't think it made sense. We were both left-side players both full-time blockers, but I was uh, coming off my autoimmune disease. So I was out for two years in 2017, 2018. I came back at the end, end of 2018 and Trevor was coming off of a few uh, kind of subpar finishes. I knew he wasn't happy. So I was like, Hey, let's just go run it and have fun. Like it doesn't matter. You're not getting the finishes you want. I'm coming off of two years of not even playing the sport. And he's like, I mean, it took him like, I don't know. 12 hours to get back to me on that one. He's like, all right, let's do it. Um, so really we, we did it just to kind of have fun. And then we, we trained for a little bit and then we went overseas, uh, to play in a three-star event. So three out of five star, it was like a pretty tough event, but not, not all the best teams in the world were there. And we ended up getting the gold medal. And, uh, so after that, we're like, Oh, okay. We were just going to end the season and just have fun with this. But like, maybe we should take a crack at this like Olympic run together. Why not? We're having fun. Um, so we decided to stick together. We hired um, Jose Loyola, one of the legendary Brazilian coaches. And we just been going really hard and we're very on the same page, like in terms of like what we're competing for and um, how much work we're willing to put in. And it's, it's been really fun. You know, you mentioned the autoimmune disease, and, and from what I understand, this is a very rare uh, condition, very infrequent mm -hmm. uh, throughout the population. Um, take us through the discovery of that and, and, and what you were told about it and, and what you were sort of anticipating as far as, as going up against it and, and through it. And did you envision being able to establish yourself on the other side of it in the way that you have? Yeah, so so the story is um, basically the last Olympic quad. I was playing with John Hyden, and we were the number three team. We, we qualified for the Olympics, so you have to finish top 15 in the world to qualify for the Olympics. But there's a country quota of two teams per country. So we were the third U.S. team, and we got eliminated because of that. So And then we went to the World Tour Finals. It's kind of a 
funny story, but after the Olympics, they had one more event, the World Tour Finals. And we were actually ranked higher than the, the U.S. team who got to go to the Olympics uh, because it's two separate ranking systems. And uh, so we went to the World Tour Final and we ended up on the podium with the Olympic champions and everything, even though we weren't Olympians. So, I mean, that was a, that was a high for me. And I was, I, I was, you know, 29, 28, 28, I think at the time and feeling like, okay, I'm coming into my prime. I got a whole quad under my belt. Like this is my time to take over the sport and, and, you know, be that guy. And I was totally ready for that. Um, and then I got ankle surgery right after it was just pretty minor surgery where they just had to take out a little cyst that was creating friction. And then like four, six weeks after surgery, I started getting inflammation in my hands, my joints. I was like this chronic fatigue. It like slowly started coming on. And as I trained through that off season, by the end of the off season, when our first event was about to happen, I was so inflamed that I could barely like bend my knees and my hands were hurting just touching the ball. And um, so right before the first event, a really big event, it's uh, like a five-star event. The doc told me not to get on the plane. Um, and then I thought that was just one event, but it turned into a few. And then it took like four months or so where I was, you know, really just tired every day and, and I couldn't really do anything for them to, they did a muscle biopsy on my leg and they took some muscle out and, and diagnosed me with uh, myositis. So like an inflammatory muscle disease, autoimmune disease. and um, and then it, I kind of realized what was going on at that point, and um, we started kind of trying to figure out how I was gonna come back from it. And um, it was basically like every two months, it was like, okay, you might be able to start working out in two months. And then another month or two would come, like, eh, maybe two more, two more. And it just kept adding on um, for a long time. And basically, the doctor said it's different for everybody. Like you don't have an autoimmune disease. Like this is what you have. This is what you're going to feel. It's like everyone's body creates something completely different for themselves. Um, so he told me it could, you know, he told me it was dangerous to work out with inflammation in my muscles. So I had to stop working out completely. I lost like 30, 30 pounds of muscle basically. Cause I, I mean, I don't have much body fat anyway. So I went from 200 to 170 uh, with zero exercise. And um, that at that point, I, was, you know, I had to kind of have the conversation with myself, like, am I gonna ever get to play again? Like, because cause you hear stories of people who are dealing with this kind of stuff for their whole lives. Um, and I kind of I had that conversation with myself, but I didn't buy into it. I was like, for me, every time I said it, I was like, nah, like, I'm just going to work super hard at, at beating this thing. And not only am I going to work hard at beating it and like do whatever it takes, I'm going to do all the things that I always wanted to do when I was playing. Like, for example, like, Oh, you know, when you're playing, you're like, I should watch more film. I should do some of this mindfulness stuff, but you, you never really feel like you have time for it. I was like, well, now I don't have the excuse to not have time for it. And it gives me something to focus on and feel like I'm growing and getting better. So I kind of went into that mode where I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn. 
I wanted to learn public speaking because I'm a professional athlete, right? An entertainer. I'm getting interviewed a lot and I, I wanted to be better at it. I didn't want to give like that standard athlete uh, answer, you know, oh, we work hard and um, we're just uh, working together as a team and trying to have fun. Like I didn't want to give that, you know, standard response every time. And so I, I did some broadcasting for the AVP. I, I just tried to learn a bunch of new stuff and uh, study the game a lot and ended up starting the podcast because of that. Uh, and that's been going for like two years. And then um, finally things started looking like they were going to get better at, in 2018. And then it was, I forget uh, the exact date, but I came back basically for the Manhattan Beach Open which is like the biggest one of them all and um, just slowly got my body back into shape. And it, it took a long time, but, but the important part was that I was able to like take all the skills that I had learned while I was out and then apply them moving forward. And I, and I feel like I'm almost better off because I took that time to like learn new stuff, you know? Uh, was it spooky uh, going into this year with the whole COVID pandemic and, and just, you know, not knowing exactly what that encompassed? Um, and I guess, you know, from that, how then fulfilling must it have been on Sunday to have, have won for the first time since you got, went through that whole ordeal? And, and just uh, that must have been a cathartic experience for you. Yeah. You know, it was weird because, I mean, I know this was like an extremely stressful time for everybody. And um, it, it was stressful for me too, but I was coming off of two years of where I didn't have the support from my sponsors and because my contracts were up. I didn't have the support of the national team. So you don't have your health insurance. Like everything got pulled for me when I – was out with my health issues whereas now i have all that support stay by my side the national team the sponsors um you know i have my team my coach something to work for um so like financially i wasn't going backwards like i was during that time so when this time came around honestly it like it wasn't that bad and and obviously like i want to be out there making a really good living like you know we all we all do right now but it wasn't that bad for me because I was so used to being in the hole for those two years that now I was like, I'm above ground. Like I'm, I'm moving in the right direction, maybe slower than, than if this whole thing wasn't happening, but I'm moving in the right direction. And then the biggest thing is I have a, a newborn baby. She's 10 and a half months now, but I was, you know, my wife and I had the conversation like, okay, Olympic year, I'm going to be on the world tour. We're planning on making the Olympic team. So, for that whole month, I'm going to be gone. Um, ideally, she was going to come, but I wasn't going to be able to see that much of my baby's first year. Um, and then this all happened, and now I'm here every day for her. And and then AVP put on this event where I get to sleep at home and drive down 20 minutes to Long Beach every morning. Like this is like ideal, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so I was super grateful that they put these events on and. Um, me and Trev just like, we, our whole team, we just like been working really hard. We really, really want to keep growing. We know we have a lot to work on. So 
we worked hard to this time. We kept working out and stayed in shape. And it was kind of like just in case something like this came along and, and it did and we felt ready. So that's why I think we had a lot of that confidence uh, going into it. And then to pull off the victory was just like, I mean, you probably heard it on TV. I was just like yelling, like, finally, like I'm back. Because 2015 was the last time I won an AVP. And, and at that point, like I said, I thought I was going to start stacking them up. And now here we are five years later, and, and I finally got one more. I finally got back on the winning ways. So, yeah, it was, it was an amazing feeling. Uh, a little emotional at times, you know, especially during the national anthem when you have, like, a whole minute to, to think. And um, even with, you know, the, the, with the times right now with the racial injustice stuff and, like, everything that's been happening, it's like, wow, this is just, like, a powerful time. And, and I feel grateful to have this platform to entertain people but also, like, perform and, and be a role model and, um, you know, put our work on display. And try, you know, the Olympics, something that, that, that you've mentioned quite a bit here in our interview, it's something that always comes up. Is that the yeah. pinnacle for you professionally? Um, or, or is it success on the tour? But what do the Olympics stand in terms of an aspiration? Yeah, to be honest, it could just, you know, be me more so than, than other volleyball players. But yeah, Olympics is it for me. Like I, I just, I've always like, felt like that there's just this huge power to this these games and and I just want to experience it I want to experience you know representing the U.S. and everything that comes along with the games and the, the highest pressure that's kind of for me like I want to experience the highest pressure I possibly can and um, I think that that's it um, I want to experience what it's like to to go for a gold I don't want to just make the team and be like oh I did it like let's go walk around and meet all the big athletes and stuff. I want to experience what it's like to like really go for gold. Um, but we have to get there first to, to be able to have that opportunity. But in my sport, yeah, we, we prefer, most of us prefer to play on the AVP. We want to play in the U S for U S fans. And it's just fun playing on the AVP tour, but our ultimate goal and everyone knows the the biggest challenge is competing on the world tour for that olympic spot and uh so we kind of sacrifice um some of our domestic play to be able to chase that dream and and it, it's kind of they, they moved everything back right basically a year to for, mm -hmm. for qualification now that uh, the tokyo games have been pushed to, to 2021 um, how did that affect sort of the planning for you guys? And, and, and where do you sort of see yourselves in the race? I mean, it really does seem like it's a, it's a three-team race for those two spots. It really is. Um, so Taylor and Jake are um, – Jake Gibb and Taylor Crabb are the one team right now. So there's different ranking systems. There's an Olympic ranking system, which is your best uh, 12 events from starting in – it was supposed to be a year and a half, but now it's going to be two and a half years. Um, so it's your best 12 events. And uh, Jake and Taylor are ahead. And then Trevor and I are ranked second with 12 finishes. And then Phil and Nick are ranked third, but they only have 11 finishes. So they're missing one of the finishes. And when they add that, they are going to jump up a little bit, depending on how we do in the next event. So basically, 
in one event, if let's say we win an event, Jake and Taylor get a ninth and Phil and Nick get a fifth, like we could literally all be tied after that. It, it, it's that close to where it could all come down to one event right now. So we're waiting for the FIVB schedule to come out, which is the world tour schedule. And that will dictate how many events and how many chances we have to uh, solidify those spots. But between us three, it would be really hard for another team to, to break in and um, compete with us for those spots at this point. It's a, it's a little too late in the game for most other teams. Um, but it's, it's just going to be a grind to the end for sure. And you saw in the AVP, we, us three teams were the ones competing for the championships, uh, every Sunday. So it, it's kind of, the landscape is what it should be. What is that like when it's sort of the same two guys on the other side of the net in a semifinal or a final scenario, like, Do you start to get a little tired of playing them every week? Do, you know, it, does that build any sort of animosity or, or are we sort of way past that with regard to the AVP? <laughs> well, it's changed over the years um, for sure. We get a little more comfortable jawing at each other nowadays because <laughs> it's happened so much. You know, we, we know how to leave it on the court for sure. And it's not like other sports where we can uh, – you know, I think, I think other sports you stay away from your opponents a lot. But, like, for us, we have to travel together. We're all going to the same place. We all go to the national team headquarters. So we have to be cordial with each other, and we've become fairly good friends, you know, with, more with some people than others. But um, these guys are elite, like – and as you've probably noticed, a few of these guys are longtime veterans. So they know the game at a really high level. So when you go out there and step – on the court against them you know they've changed something they've noticed something from the last time you played them and they're trying to apply it to this match and they spent all week with their coach trying to figure that out and we have to do the same thing and you know they're going to push you because these guys have been playing so long beach volleyball is a, a strategy sport and an experience sport uh where the more experienced player usually prevails and um so it's fun it's fun it's like you know a chess match every time Uh, it's not just the physicality and the touch. It's there's so many aspects to it, and I feel like playing against these top top guys. It's just making me so much better. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about um, you know you being a renaissance man, elite athlete, champion volleyball player, broadcaster, podcaster, uh, also an author. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You actually wrote uh, or co-wrote a book, Volleyball yeah. for Milkshakes. Uh, yeah. Give us a little bit of of what that entailed. Yeah, I don't know why, but you're right. I just, I I like doing things that I never thought I would ever do. You know, like if I asked myself 10 years ago, like what would, would I be an author? I would say, hell no, like I'm the last person on earth. Uh, but then when the opportunity came out, I was like, yeah, why not? I'd love to be able to say that I did that. Um, and then this particular book came up because my um my co-host on the podcast Travis Mawerder is a he's an author and he's an honestly the best um writer in volleyball and um that's why we created the podcast together he's really good at conducting interviews and you know bringing out stories and and all that stuff and and I was more of the guy who understood the sport at a really deep level and and I knew all the players so they're all down to come on the podcast because it wasn't an interview it was like hey come chat with me um so he 
just talking with, we've done hundreds of episodes on the podcast and he's heard my story so many times and he was so fascinated by the baby court and like how we all grew up the baby court, you know, the small court at Outrigger Canoe Club where we all learned how to play us Hawaiian kids. And he heard the story so many times that he had the idea of like, we could write a children's book about that. I was like, Oh yeah, you do know how to write books. And then, uh, so we kind of collaborated. I kind of told him like the real stories. And then we both came together and tried to figure out, you know, what, what were some of the lessons we learned growing up that, that stuck with us and like helped us keep moving up in, in the world of volleyball and sports or, or just in life. And, um, I kind of had the idea of making because I feel like I was raised by aunties and uncles, like, you know, whether it's Trevor and Taylor's parents or Auntie Paula and Chris or Maddie and Riley's or McLaughlin's or Shoji's and all of them. I feel like they're the ones who taught me the lessons. My family wasn't, they weren't volleyball players. My mom's just a PE teacher at UH lab and my dad's a history teacher at AOP. Uh, So there was no volleyball in my bloodline. Um, it was all about the aunties and uncles. And so we have auntie who kind of teaches the boys these lessons throughout um, their time playing volleyball. And um, we just thought it'd be cool to to give back and kind of share the story. It's, it's not, not everything in it is exactly how it went down um, in real life, but it's pretty close. And uh, we did used to play for milkshakes <laughs> and uh we threw in a lot of a lot of the names the characters of the other kids in the book are actual are all like actual hawaii volleyball players that, that that's great i feel like your volleyball story right is, is such a hawaii story uh with all the aunties the uncles these guys who yep. become like your brothers um yep. i wanted to ask you about trevor and taylor what's it like being sort of adjacent to their brotherly rivalry if you will yeah I like watching it. I, I mean, I, I stay out of it for the most part. And it, it's been crazy. Like, if you, you know, you can ask them about it, but they, they're so competitive. Like, Trevor's so competitive and, and tough on his brother, to be honest. Um, but Taylor's just, like, so solid. Like, his, he has the smoothest game probably in the world, to be honest. Like, some of the best skills, and he's so fast and jumps high. Um, so it's hard for Trevor to be tough on him because he's so good at volleyball, you know what I mean? Um, but he pushes Taylor a lot. And early on in the career, it was like, I don't, it, it seemed like it was like, they don't want, they didn't want their brother to be better than them. Cause it's like this, you know, it was more of an ego thing. And, and I know I'm saying this cause I experienced that as well. I didn't want my friends to be better than me. There's no one I didn't want to lose to more than those guys, you know, all my friends. Um, but their relationship has evolved and now they like go at it on the court and then they'll get in the car and go home together and, and hang out together. They have their, their drinking whiskey show together now. And it's cool for me to see that, that they're like really, um, embracing the fact that they're brothers and, and they're both doing this together and representing their family in Hawaii. Um, so I, you know, I'm on the side, I'm like the side cousin kind of thing. <laughs> um, but it, it's been fun being a part of it for sure. Because you're like physically adjacent as well. Like you guys all live on the same street in Redondo Beach. Yeah, yeah exactly. He, uh, Trevor, <laughs> so during COVID, I, uh, I built a gym out in my garage. So Trevor rode his uh, electric scooter down the street every day <laughs> to work out in the garage. <laughs> that, yeah, that is great. Did they, 
did did they ask you for any pointers once they started this? I I came across it on Instagram. Their uh, drinking whiskey with the crabs little uh, little mini series. Did they, did they ask you for some pointers once they got in front of the microphone? No, like I said, we're competitive. So deep down, they didn't say it, but I think they're trying to one up my podcast. They saw that what <laughs> that I did that, and they're like, "No, we got to have something even better." Uh, and it's very unique to them, you know, because uh, those boys like to party a little bit, um, and they just like you know it. If you watch the show, it's kind of them in a nutshell. So I, I think it's great. It's pretty. It's it's really authentic and uh but no they didn't they didn't ask me it, it's more of a competition between the sandcast and uh and drinking whiskey with the crabs although we did talk about doing a collaboration so that might come out soon oh you gotta have exciting. the crossover right yeah yeah for sure all right well last question from me dave showed you better baseball coach or volleyball coach uh honestly dave when we were younger he was so focused on the wahine like when he coached us, he was just like, guys, just like go out there and stop being ADD and crazy. He, we drove him crazy. Um, but I, I did not like baseball, to be honest. We played for the Manoa Pirates, me and Eric and uh, Dave coached. And he was just like, try just, you just want to run in circles and get energy out. Just go do that. <laughs> uh, and and I, I didn't like baseball because I felt like I was standing around too much. So I, I'm going to have to go with volleyball. There's a lot of lessons. He and uh, Mary Shoji was also uh, our coach. So there's a lot of lessons that they taught me. And um, I mean, so many other uh, of these coaches in Hawaii um, that have been, it's just been so valuable. All right. I lied. I have one more question. I just kind of wanted yeah. to ask you the, the background of, of your name. Try. So most people think it's because my parents were triathletes, uh, but my dad's always like, no, I didn't want people to think that. Um, I'm the third from my mom's side, third child. Um, it was like a last second thing where, where my dad had a name picked out and my mom went into labor. And then while she's in labor, she's like, I like try. And my dad's like, well, I can't argue with you right now. Like you're giving birth to this kid. So sure. We'll go with try. Um, but yeah, my dad was always like, I knew everyone was going to think it's cause I'm a triathlete. Uh, but it actually isn't. <laughs> well, it, it, it fits uh, in, a, in a verbal sense because um, as we've laid out, it, it seems as though you are uh, willing to and, and, and brave enough to try literally anything and you have succeeded yeah. in so many ways. So uh, you definitely gave our podcast a bump here uh, in this episode <laughs> and, and we can't thank you enough for the time, man. Right on, guys. It's a, it's a pleasure to chat with you guys. I've been a fan of yours for a long time now and your dad, of course. Uh, you know, broadcasting volleyball with Chris McLaughlin. And uh, so uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I subscribe to the channel. So uh, I, uh, I think everyone else should too, for sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks once again to Triborn. He is just a really good guy to talk to. And, and you can tell he has a well-rounded set of skills. Uh, and uh, that comes across when you talk to him. What an impressive guy. And what, is, what a story it would be if, if you know, their team – and Taylor Crabb's team can be the two to represent the United States in next year's Olympics. We'll be crossing our fingers. That'd be so sick. Great, great to see the influence of, of Hawaii volleyball players on the AVP tour. All right, time to get to our post game. <laughs> best and worst, Jordan. What is your best for this episode? Yeah, my best. I'm going to stray outside of sports. Um, some of the early reports uh, in terms of ballots submitted for voting for the primary election, which is technically election day is this Saturday. We record this on Thursday morning. 
Uh, and, and I'm not getting political here because if, if you think, uh, you know, just encouraging people to vote is political, that probably <laughs> says a lot about you. Uh, I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm just asking you to vote. Uh, but it sounds like they're, they're approaching last election's numbers already in terms of turnout. This is with a couple of days to spare. Uh, which I think is a very encouraging sign. I think more people getting involved in the civic process and, and uh, fulfilling their civic duty is, uh, is always good to see. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's an all-by-mail voting deal, and there, there are different locations. You can drop off your ballot box. There are voter service centers. You can go and do it in person. But it seems like uh, more people are uh, stepping up to the plate, to borrow the sports analogy here uh, in 2020. A very apolitical stance uh, to encourage people to vote. I love it. All right, my best is T.J. Warren of the Indiana Pacers. Let me repeat. T.J. Warren of the Indiana Pacers is my best because entering today, he was leading all NBA players in the bubble, averaging 39.7 points per game through three games, including the bubble's first 50-burger, while also shooting 65% from the floor. He never made more than four threes in a game, right? Everyone knew he could score the basketball, but the perimeter game, you know, the range was always a bit of an Achilles heel. Never hit more than four threes in a game. He hit nine threes versus Philly the other day. TJ Warren going off. And what's funny is, you know, he has that little Pelikia with Jimmy Butler. Uh, and a lot of people were sort of bagging on TJ Warren. Like he's nowhere in Jimmy Butler's league. Uh, right now, TJ Warren is the best scorer in the NBA, at least in the bubble. So uh, brothers loving the bubble ball. Yeah, we, you know, there were, there were all the stories about guys not having real access to gyms and they were having to practice in their backyards or whatever. I don't know what T.J. Warren was doing, but it seemed like he was putting in some work in the offseason because uh, the, the, the touch and the stroke is, is on point right now. The guy's lighting it up. It's unbelievable. Meanwhile, the Lakers are the opposite. They can't hit any buckets. They need a little T.J. Warren magic uh, on their side. All right, I'll just jump to my worst, and then we'll end the show with your worst, Jordan. Uh, in a move that seems pretty typical for a hapless team like the New York Mets, slugger Jonas Cespedes uh, opted out in a most Mets-like manner. Cespedes was unable to be reached during a Mets game day against the Braves earlier in the week. Concerned about his whereabouts, Mets officials sent security to his hotel room only to discover that he had packed up all his things and checked out. They were in Atlanta at the time. It was later announced that Cespedes opted out of the rest of the season out of concern for the pandemic, but it just so happens that he was also left out of the lineup on Sunday, which was uh, the day before he decided not to show up. And there are reports that he was convinced that ownership was sabotaging his contract performance clauses, which in many ways are appearance-based. My favorite team, the New York Mets, just doing New York Mets things. That's my worst. It wouldn't be that unreasonable, right, to think that the Mets were trying to rig the salary, right, at that point, no, right? Yeah, are, who I, are they, who are they paying it. still? Bobby Bonilla? Who are they, who are they paying? Bobby Bonilla is, is, is Bobby Bonilla with the Mets. Yeah, so they, or whatever it is. yeah they, got, uh, they got a lot of bills, so I could see where maybe they, you know, were trying to skimp Cespedes off the top a little bit. Yeah, I like Bobby Bonilla is going to get paid through like 2035 or like some ridiculous number like that. It's, Great contract. You got to love those Metropolitans, baby. What's your worst? Yeah, my worst. It's also MLB related. Uh, I actually think it's a pretty good idea, but the fact that we've gotten to this point uh, is, isn't a great uh, reflection uh, on the players. But Major League Baseball just the other day was reported, right? Uh, the, the protocol compliance officers, PCOs. Every team's going to be assigned one. They are in charge of making sure everybody follows the COVID protocols and, uh, you know, go out for milk or whatever Derek Jeter said the Marlins were doing uh, when they had their little 
you know, outbreak in the Miami clubhouse. Uh, so basically, if you're going to do anything, you got to run it by the PCO. It's a certified babysitter is what it is for these grown men as part of the clubhouse. And the fact that Major League Baseball, and I get it, they're the first league really in the United States to attempt to not play in a bubble. So there's going to be hiccups there, right? Everybody else that's successfully done it has done it in a centralized bubble location. Um, and so they're kind of the guinea pigs. I'm sure the NFL is playing a lot of attention, but uh, you got We got to get babysitters for these guys. That's what the B in MLB stands for now is uh, babysitter. Just, uh, just crazy, crazy stuff. And yet, after all of that, the Marlins who are making like 38 transactions each day just to field a team, they're five and one. <laughs> so uh go figure go figure all right that's it for us thanks once again to Triborn for jumping on with us hit us up on twitter at kanoa Leahy, at jordan helly or at talk sports 808 we will see you on our next episode jordan have a good one man see you